Hey guys, it's me, Chris Denson, Innovation Crush. Now look, if you know me at all, you know I'm not the web designing type. I can barely type an email, let alone handle this microphone, let alone build out an entire website. But that's about to change, because thanks to the folks at Weebly, I'm actually well on my way to making an amazing website. Now, first of all, Weebly was created for people like me with the courage to start their own business and the dream to be their own boss. But also like me, I don't know how to code, I don't know how to web design, all that stuff. But they have a ton of amazing, beautifully designed templates and themes to choose from. All you have to do is drag and drop and build to publish your website. Way too easy. And you can actually customize the whole experience. You can update and change your site anytime, anywhere, from any device you want to. So here's what I would do if I were you. I would join the over 30 million people who are already dreaming big with Weebly. Get started today for free at weebly.com slash crush. That's me. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com slash C-R-U-S-H. Weebly.com slash crush. And tell them your buddy Chris Denson from Innovation Crush sent you. All right, everybody, this is uh, another installment of Innovation Crush. This is your host, Chris Denson. Uh, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, shame on you. You should have listened to uh, some previous episodes, at least catch up on a few. But uh, the show covers all things marketing, innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things. And um, today is a really interesting day because uh, Jimmy Stice, say hello. Hi, how are we doing, folks? <laughs> is going to um, tell us a little bit about what we're doing here in Panama. So, uh, for, for starters, we've lured a lot of people into the jungle in the last few days. <laughs> that sounds, uh, uh, contrite, but here's, here's, here's what I want you to do. Give me, give me like the 90 second version of who Jimmy Stice is and, uh, we'll go from there and I'll ask you a bunch of like newsy questions and so on and so forth. Sure thing. So I guess in, in 90 seconds or less, I'm, I was raised in real estate and kind of studied marketing and realized that the way that our, we shape our bricks ends up shaping us and, Unfortunately, real estate makes up 35% of assets in the world, and it takes up almost a, a very large footprint of the world's resources and does a lot of damage to communities. So being from a real estate background, I thought, wow, there's got to be some way that this ends up making the world a better place and bringing communities together and rebuilding environments. So we're down here in Panama trying to create a model for how to build a sustainable modern town. So you've, um, you've already gotten a lot of accolades. Um, and I got to say, I was a little bit of a skeptic. Because <laughs> when you and I met two years ago, uh, you know, we met at, a, at Hatch, which is a pretty awesome collection of creative individuals. So you assume everybody's on the level. And then when you go like, oh, yeah, I'm building a city in Panama. Southern guy, shaggy hair, don't look the business, real estate, building part. I'm like, mm, okay. But here I am, you know, a year and a half later in the jungle in Panama and, and I've been converted and I'm actually going to open my uh, Panama locker. So, uh, um, so I, I don't know, I guess kind of walk through at least what people's first response, you know, the first response is when you tell them what you're doing and how you overcome that from, you know, if, whether there's skepticism or awe or both uh, the things you've encountered introducing people to the, the Kalu Yala concept. I, I think the biggest thing that we've figured out is that the fortunate thing about, about building a town is that it's a very tangible end result. It's a very tangible product, not buildings per se, because that's not really what town building is to us. It's, it's about community. 
And so for us, we just like to invite people who are skeptical here. <laughs> As you look at me. That's yeah. great. So, so uh, uh, to see what we're actually doing. And so for, for us, you know, we've got over, over the greenhouse behind us, there's a sign that says we, we learn by doing. And we also uh, answer our skeptics by doing. So um, I guess in, in terms of practicality, let's just walk through some of the, the, the details, right? Building a town. Like what kind of population are you looking at um, achieving? You know, we'll start there because I have a I have a shitload of questions. Sure, <laughs> sure. So we, I mean, we're sitting here in a seven thousand acre valley uh, on top of the headwaters of the Rio Pacora, and against the three hundred ten thousand acre national park, the Chagres, uh, one of the twenty biological hotspots in the world. We've analyzed the entire headwater that we're in, which is about fifty percent primary rainforest, fifty percent cleared for cattle grazing to see how many people could would be a maximum population this land could carry. Uh, and what we found is that if we owned the entire valley or if the entire valley's owners participated, this valley could potentially suit up to 25,000 people in a regenerative way. Uh, the little village we're seeing on right now is a 375 acre uh, piece of land or farm, as we like to call it. And it, we would like to put, but we're only about to use about 50 acres of that for civilization. And we're going to have a small village of about 500 people here. Um, I have a simple question. Okay. Why? Because you, you could have done a lot of things. <laughs> or you're, you're a smart guy. Like, it, it's hot here. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and you've been here for a few years. So, it's like, it's not even to the point where, you know, like, we're sleeping in tents. Like, yep. there's, there's some, it's, and it's intense, intense. As I've been yep. Um, but this is an arduous journey. And you have to, obviously, once you commit to it, like, you have to stick with it. But why was this, like, the path you chose? for your career, your life thus far? This answer is not going to make any sense, but the, 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 I, I've answered this a couple of times to other people and I just want to build a place that makes sense to me. And as much as this place seems insane, uh, to me, it's actually quite logical and pragmatic and, and is actually making sensible use of resources, both environmental, financial, and in terms of the, the, the people who come here and, and their energy and what drives them. And kind of activating them. So to me, this this is what makes sense. And I wanted to live in a world that makes sense. And obviously, you've converted a lot of people. I, I, first of all, the area that we're sitting in, I felt it feels like a little torture chamber. But <laughs> it also speaks to a little theme that I've been joking about with people is that, yeah, Jimmy invited me to come out and check it out. And then I stayed like this, like <laughs> this is like the, the key story behind everybody who's a part of what you've built. So, you know, what is it that people get here and they go like, I'm not going, I'm not going back to wherever I was before, you know, before I got here. I think, I think the biggest thing they get is a sense of purpose and then, and then, uh, for themselves, which fulfills a greater need of, of a community. Uh, but I think once again, that all of a sudden it seems like work is what neat is what is supposed to be being done. And it feels good here. It doesn't feel like you're working towards some, some goal that you don't believe in. It feels like you're working towards something that not only do you believe in, but that can be achieved. And just to, just to put it in perspective, talk a little bit about a couple of people on the team. Like I know Carly, for instance, HuffPo writer, like she, deputy editor, deputy, deputy national editor for the Huffington Post. Uh, she left to work for Kiva a little while ago. Uh, did that whole working her butt off from Northwestern through her twenties, doing all the right things and got jealous of all the people who did the wrong things uh, and had fun and went to backpacking through, through Latin America and, and, and kind of getting involved with social causes. And now she's here about to launch our online magazine. Uh, so 
Uh, you've got her, you've got Max. Sometimes we call him Thor. Some people call him Jungle Fabio. He's got long, <laughs> luscious locks of blonde hair. Uh, and he actually came up with the idea to occupy the site uh, before we had buildings here. He said, right. let's go camp there to learn what that place is about, what the people there are about, not just study it from an academic perspective uh, and try and make good decisions based on data. Let's actually get the data ourselves by being there. That's a good, that's a great perspective. And so before we uh, before I touch on that, like anyone else you want to highlight in terms of like a team member that just yeah, Br- unexpected, Br- you know, Brigitte Devaux. I mean, she comes here uh, with a background in sustainable design. She studies biology. She jumps on her first job that's available and learns how to teach outdoor recreation. She quickly rises to become the, 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 the venue manager, basically, meaning she's in charge of taking care of everybody in a very remote and sometimes very difficult situation. And then when our chef leaves, it turns out she's been keeping a notebook of how to start a culinary program. Uh, now she's feeding you and everybody else who's here, all 230 people who are here with us on the property right now, using, I want to say right now in these meals, 85%. Uh, ingredients from within walking distance of where we're sitting right now. That is phenomenal. I can't, I can't fathom like what it takes to do something as simple as that because we're in literally in the middle of a jungle, right? You cleared space to, you know, clear trees and we didn't, we didn't clear anything. We, we bought it from a cattle farming family. Ah. So we're actually regrowing okay. trees on the space right now, but yeah, but it was cleared space. So, but the idea of getting, basic supplies let alone like you let alone the people who are just here on the on a day-to-day basis i i cracked up when i pulled up and i was like oh there's an amazon prime box right like 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 that was funny but it it is you know but to feed 230 people three meals a day for four days is not an easy task so like how do you you know solve for the logistics you you know what's incredible is 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 how much of the work here is about either assembling or reassembling existing uh supply chains like Brigitte basically how she feeds you is she's friends with all the people who own farms around us including the caretakers and sustenance farmers who tend to have and so she can aggregate uh enough food to be able to feed everybody but it's not because there's a commercial farm here that has enough food to feed all of you it's because she has enough relationships in the area to be able to go out and get the food she's looking for and to know what season uh it is for which food that's great yeah um, and so that, that's Panama in general. Like it doesn't matter what you're doing in this country. It's really a small town, and it, it, it does come down to actually building a relationship with someone if you want to get anything done here. Well, the population is like what three and a half million or something. Three and a half million. About half of those are in Panama City. So that's three and a half. That's like a third, not even a third of the size of a Los Angeles, right? Or yeah, I, <laughs> which which is great, right? Because you, it's essentially. I mean, you come from the U.S., so like the, it's essentially a city, yep. right? It's like set in the jungle. Um, and when you, when you first came here, you touched on this a minute ago, uh, like understanding the culture from, you know, from a human to human perspective, how important was that? And like, what was that early? Like, what were those first steps like to come and like, Hey guys, I'm Jimmy. I'm <laughs> just bought that land up the, up the road. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, the first, the funny thing is the, the first, they thought we were a mission group. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, because because usually you have a little hill song in you. <laughs> when when <laughs> when gringos come to this area, it, it tends to be for mission work. Um, and then and then there's a kind of this general thought in Panama. Panamanians have always stayed here, and so many other people have come and gone. Uh, it talked about doing things here, and so for the first two years, it's kind of looked at like you're an outsider. And then once you're actually here, and people know you're staying here, all of a sudden doors start to open, people start to warm up, and you start to be buddies with all the people who were just acquaintances beforehand. So I guess the, the biggest thing has just been showing that we're not going anywhere. Uh, and then that's kind of opened doors to inviting them over for meals, being invited over for meals. 
uh, and, and getting to where we're friends where basically they bust my balls every day like you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was private. I didn't want that to be recorded. <laughs> um, so it's trust. I think at the, at the core of it all, especially like bringing a new ish community into a community, you know, into a, a place. Um, it's, I mean, would you say that's kind of like the key thing to your on the ground success uh, culturally? is building trust. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. It's about having relationships and, and, and kind of building them, whether it's drinking a beer at the bar or whether it's, it's purchasing something from somebody having an economic transaction or whether it's working alongside somebody, it's about them getting to know who you are and what your, what your strengths and weaknesses are like any other relationship. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing we found was people, there wasn't actually this big, uh, U.S. Uh, versus Latin American difference. It was more of a town and country difference. Right. It was more like a farmer from the U.S. understands this place a lot more than a Panamanian from the city in a lot of ways. Hmm. Uh, and so we're just finding that kind of rural versus urban right. attitude. And most of us, you know, a lot of us here are starting to even out, but we, we've been city kids with yeah. kind of ideals that we're pursuing in the country. Well, so speaking of like, I, uh, I guess, kind of a culture shock, right? <laughs> it's like you're a city kid living in the jungle. I grew up in Detroit. Like, this is definitely not, like, familiar territory for me. Um, what were – and you're an academic. So, like, what was uh, – was there any key shocker, like, when you start, first started this and you're like, oh, I was not prepared for that? God, I'm not sure if I can say any of these on tape right now, Chris. Uh, I, I mean, I want, I want to just go with the easy one, which is, like, how hard it fucking rains in August. Right. Uh, you know, um, uh, but, but, but give me the juice if you want. Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, re realistically, uh, what's shocking is the fact that you can get anything done in Panama. Uh, and if, if you try and get it done, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if I can give you this juice or not. I'm trying to think about it. <laughs> uh, you know, trying to be ethical in a system that's designed for, for, uh, unethical behavior is a real interesting challenge Got it. to try and figure out how are you going to maintain your principles uh, in a place where legally they've got laws like a woman's not allowed to go to a nightclub by herself. And legally you can't have a, you, you have to have a license for your bicycle, but no, you've never seen a license plate on a bicycle. Right. Like literally all the laws are designed for you to uh, have to use graft. And yeah. that's not what we do. So that was probably the biggest shock. Well, even that, like, like that takes some skillful navigation, right? And I think every entrepreneurial journey comes up, butts heads with those, unexpected scenarios, whether they're business, logistics, personnel, like, you know, how, I don't know, what was, maybe what was your reaction to needing to navigate those sorts of unsuspected things, you know? Um, sure, I guess I, my reaction was to find people who knew how to navigate them, to find people who I had trust in, who I'd established relationships with, who, who had been there and done that, and who, could, who I related to, who could help me figure out how to do it uh, the way that I felt comfortable with. Uh, that also made sense for what we were doing here. Right. Um, origin story. So the path to get here was like li the literal path that we were on a cattle truck holding on for dear life um, on this bumpy ass road, um, which my for look at my forearms. They're like, I look like Popeye. Uh -huh. uh, Black Popeye. That should be, uh, I'm going to shoot that show when I, when I get back home. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you know, there's an experience to get here, right? It, and uh, you talked a little bit earlier about preserving that, you know, the like roughing it, but then getting into a community that's beautiful. Um, so I, I don't know, like, what is the experience you want people to have when they when they come here, right? Because you could like you could pave this road, you could make it nice and pretty, yep. But you by design, it's like bumpy and rough, and like you're gonna you're gonna have a journey just to get to 
the city. I want I want people to f- fall more in love with a more minimal way of living than they were with whatever their version of extravagance was before they got here. I want them to fall in love with the fact they don't have access to Wi-Fi whenever they want it. I want them to fall in love with the fact that they don't necessarily get a flavor that's not in season and not local here. And they might have a flavor on their plate that they haven't experienced before and that that makes them feel more grounded. I want people to feel as though it's more luxurious to live simply uh, than it is to live with all the access to everything you've ever wanted in your life. Is that is all, is all that stuff true? It is for the people who stay. <laughs> now, my mom, my mom has been real simple. She's been here twice. And, and she said, Jimmy, I'm going to need air conditioning before I come back. <laughs> all right. But, so it's not for everyone. At least a fan or like a, uh, one of those grape leaves kind of uh, situation. Um, no, that's, that's definitely a, a cool way to look at it. So I, I think when you look at the brand of College Gallery, right, you're also in addition to building a, a civic infrastructure, you're building a culture. Um, and there's a lot of students here. Um, I think yesterday you said you mentioned like your internship program is number one or like one of the highest ranked internship, like desired internship. You're looking at me like I'm lying. If, but, if, if you, uh, well, I'm <laughs> looking at you like like they get internship credit, but it's actually a work study in an okay, institute. Okay. So just definition. Semantics. But, but yeah, but, but we're, we're ranked quite highly on, on the kind of uh, goabroad.com, goverseas.com, though, where students rate programs they've been to overseas. Uh, we're ranked very highly. Uh, which is kind of funny because they're being taught by former students for the most part. You know, we don't even have really, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not accredited. We have syllabus, we have syllabi, we have curricula uh, and we have students teaching students. So it's all been student initiated. Yeah. And I think that's really where that ranking comes from is the fact that they created this place and it was created for them in terms of the Institute. What did they come here to learn? Like, cause there, there's so much that goes into this, right? There's, there's ecological studies. There's uh, somebody else told me they studied ethics. Like it, it just like all the, all these different areas of study you know, um, kind of explain some of the disciplines educational wise that are here. Sure. Well, in a lot of ways they come in to apply what they've already learned within a discipline. So right now we've got eight disciplines. We've got entrepreneurship, uh, public education, public health, sustainable agriculture, the culinary arts, outdoor recreation, biology, and hospitality. Um, and what's really happening, those might have somebody who's studying political science within them, uh, here while they're doing this, this semester here. And what's beautiful about that is you have a broad diversity of intellectual backgrounds coming to figure out how, how do we apply this discipline to what we need to know to build a town. So it's applied research. And what they're really doing is searching for best practices and how, as this town comes up out of the ground, do we apply what we our values and what we've learned in our discipline to help you make sure we make the right decisions along the way. So in, in the quick 15 minutes we've chatted, right? You like you've rattled off a lot of <laughs> developmental things that have happened over the years. How do you manage that? And like, how much did you plan for versus how much you kind of like adjusted and, and came up with along the way? We, 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 we had a totally, our plan was completely the, our plan was completely opposite when we started, you know, we had a really like, even though we were trying to do something progressive uh, and, and socially conscious, uh, it was, a, if we build it, they will come. It was a first we shape our buildings and they shape us. If we just change the, the orientation of these bricks, it's going to produce a happier community that has less impact. And, and then the entire world went in the tank in 2009. And we realized that building something that no one's asked for is just speculation and it actually threatens the entire world economy. Um, and so we started all over again and we realized like we have to have a reason to build these buildings, no matter how conscious we are of their environmental or social impacts. And so we started with, at, you know, kind of the root of everything that we do in the world with education first. So from, from that, we built, we've realized that then the next key is to connect to people, which is what cities do. 
cities are usually responsible for connecting interdependent populations from around the world to each other. And so we started hospitality and that's why you got an invitation to come here today, you, you know, <laughs> and, and then we, and then we're starting to incubate businesses through that, through those best practices and through our, our access to people with different resources, uh, knowledge, social, financial, and otherwise we're starting to start uh, specialty foods businesses and tropically designed durable goods businesses. This, this, um, so the fact that you're able to sit down with me right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I joked earlier, like, oh, don't you have, uh, don't you have a meeting or something to go to? Um, what, like, d- define the Jimmy Stice leadership style, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because like, it's like we got beer, like they were like, you know, you, I was like, you know, I like, nope, no meeting, like it's just like. We're, 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 you know, uh, what, what it has been is, is very much like my father raised. Anyway, you know, he, he, you come up with an idea and he says, well, how are you going to do that? And so my leadership is like, here's what we've got. Who wants it? How are you going to go do it? You tell me how you're going to go do it. Let's agree to that process and then let's let you have at it, which is, I guess, how the institution became such an experiential learning like uh, an institution. Instead of us giving you the day by day syllabus that you just check boxes. We say, what are you going to do? What are you going to contribute? How are you going to do it? And we really facilitate you accomplishing your goals for our community. And that's kind of the same way that I've led traditionally. We're becoming a little bit more process oriented now. Right. We're kind of going from being a startup. That's a lot of emotion with a lot of players who are fairly autonomous once they have trust to having processes that we know produce consistent results and needing to institutionalize those and make sure that we, we have consistent results uh, from them. That's great. And so, uh, you know, I, I think with that, that sort of, um, I don't know, I, I, I think the, the companion piece of that is often, hey, we're, we are a startup. We're going to take whatever resources we can get. You know, how much have you had to, like, filter? Because you know, everybody wants to participate and contribute. You know, have you had to say no to some things that you may have really wanted to say yes to, or have you said yes to some things that you're like, ah, I shouldn't have said yes to that? We, 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 I mean, we, we definitely, we've had our marketing turned off for three months because we're just overwhelmed and our capacity can't handle anymore. And I, I don't know if I should have that. Maybe we should, you know, block that out since, uh, I, I don't know, our investors are pretty cool, <laughs> but, but we, we had to turn off the pipe because just to be honest, we're at capacity right now of what we can handle and keep our product consistent. And so right now that's kind of where this process management's come from is we've got this, this well built up of energy of people wanting to participate and we're not ready to handle all of it. And it was really hard to turn that off, but we realized if we didn't, the machine might break. So lessons from your father. Sounds, sounds like a wise, <laughs> wise old man, Stice, um, <laughs> unless you were adopted and that's not his name. Um, but <laughs> were you adopted? Uh, he, he might claim that. Are your parents black? You have black, black, uh, just <laughs> Um, no, like what, what other wisdom have you been able to instill or what, like what happened in your youth that, you know, cause you're a certain type of individual, right? You're not a business person, right? This is, this is a heart thing. So what is, what was instilled in you as a, a youngster, as young James, mm-hmm. um, that you, that you still believe in to this day that's kind of manifested? You know, I think my dad always believed that if something should be done, there's probably, uh, if you're creating value for the world, the world will probably exchange value with you for that. Uh, so he, as I was growing up, going to different schools, he, you know, he always made me really focus on, okay, what are you passionate about? How are you going to pay your mortgage and follow your passion? How are you going to not compromise yourself and follow your passion? And so my dad did a really good job of forcing pragmatism to be wrapped around idealism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the, with that, um, I don't know, with the, 
sticking to your guns, right? Like, which is which is hard to do, especially when you're an entrepreneur and opportunities are bound, and you know there's a certain unwavering quality you have to have in order to keep the brand essence, not just from publicly, but just from the, like culturally. Um, have there been? I don't know. I, I guess. What's the, um, what have you been up, how do you, how do you maintain that? Like, what's the thing that, 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 that your filter process? We, we made this really terrible decision to build a brand based on values. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what every brand should be based on. And to make sure they are at the top of every part of our, our website and that we speak to emotions more to pro, more than product and, and, and literally, uh, ask the world to judge us based on us, our ability to live up to those values as we've espoused them publicly. So our entire brand's credibility is whether or not we are true to certain values of treating people ethically, regenerating the world. And the rest of it's actually fairly up for, 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 for discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say a <laughs> terrible decision, I mean, like when you, when you're, when you're selling somebody a, a commodity product, uh, all they care about is that it performs well and that it, it's the same price as something of equal value. When you're selling something based on dreams and values, um, you're asking for people to be, you're, you're giving people permission to, to question everything you do and the way you do it. And so it's kind of this beautifully exhausting process of, being constantly asked to be a better version of yourself mm. and to constantly build a better version of your company. What are what are you personally working on? Like what are, what are you working on improving as as yourself? I'm 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 right now as we're in growth mode. I'm really working on my leadership and and once again getting back to how do I make sure that a, a big idea it, it has buy-in from the entire group that it's not just handed down. How do I make sure that there's context for why there should be buy-in if there, if there should? How do I make sure that dialogue is open to where everybody gets to have feedback uh, and, and people feel safe in that space to have conversation to make sure that we're all collectively reaching towards a best practice that meets our ethical values? What's it like communicating that stuff back and forth without email, text, cell phones, <laughs> like, like what is it? There's a lot of community meetings around the fire, like, or is it <laughs> not, not enough really, you know, not enough. Um, we, we, you know, I, I'm here this for the last, uh, I've been traveling a lot for the last couple of years doing what you do with the startup and trying to, you know, uh, raise funds and raise awareness and, and get revenue stable in order to, to take care of our community. That is our business. Um, and so right now, uh, it's, it, it's, the, it's actually most of my personal challenge and our company's challenges are, are where communication falters, you know? So yeah, we're, we're bringing high speed internet in here and, and bringing, taking communication channels to, to technology solutions like Stripe as much mm-hmm. as we're using traditional analog solutions, like making sure there's scheduled meetings, scheduled opportunities to voice opinions, uh, to make sure that everyone feels heard and validated. Well, speaking of that, let's talk about how, cause I, I immediately, um, Sorry, what? I said Stripe instead of Slack. I mean, I was, you know, Stripe, Slack, Stripe I was, is the Gremlin. I was thinking, about, I was thinking about payment gateways instead of instead of communications <laughs> platform. Excuse me. I was thinking about Gremlins. <laughs> Remember Stripe, the, the bad Gremlin? He had the little white mohawk. Uh, no, it, okay. It, Outside your entry. <laughs> um, you, well, let's talk. Let's go with that because you're you're a young you're a young guy and you've been doing this for almost ten years, right? Well, I've been in Panama for ten years. I've been uh, I 
we purchased this about a little more than seven and a half years ago, and we started the institute. Five Where does years a young ago. man like yourself get the balls? <laughs> you know, what I mean? like that's not. I'm sorry if you don't mind. How old are you right now? I'm 33. You're 33, yep. so 25 years old. Yep. You're like you know, some wide-eyed kid. <laughs> you know, what, what's that journey? Like? I, I came up with. You know, I, I had a, a moment when I was a lot younger, when I was in my teens, where I realized like that we were segregating products and real estate and that we were creating socioeconomic monocultures. And to me, what I saw was people at one end of that spectrum, not What's being, a socioeconomic monoculture means people who Sounds only live in oh, people who only live in houses from the three hundreds to the five hundreds people to where everybody lives next to somebody who's in the exact same income range as them. And they're separated by big walls and big gates. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's called social housing or if it's called McMansions, it's, it's, it's a socioeconomic yeah. monoculture. And what I saw was we're limiting everyone in society's exposure to narratives of other people and not the one in the spectrum. That's a lack of empathy and understanding of populations that are different than them who are maybe disadvantaged. Uh, and at the other end of the spectrum, it's a lack of understanding of narratives and possibilities for, for how wonder how, what their potential could be. And I thought if we're limiting one person's potential, we're limiting the potential of our entire society. And if we're limiting the potential of our entire society, we're therefore limiting everyone's potential. And so for me, what I saw happening with real estate was all of our potential being collectively limited by some really foolish decisions. And I thought, if we're limiting potential, we're limiting economic value. And there's an investment thesis in this. <laughs> that is, that's all. Uh, like, so when's the book coming out? I don't know. I need a ghostwriter. <laughs> no, that's a, I mean, it's a huge like domino effect theory. And like, I think it takes a, a, like a really smart mind to recognize like that domino effect and like the walls we inadvertently put up be, between ourselves. Um, what I was going to ask you about, you know, kind of speaking about walls, but you know, with the, the analog communication, I wanted you to kind of walk us through the environment that we're in today. Cause I'm seeing chalkboards, there's dishwashing facilities, uh -huh. there's like double decker, what do you call those? Houses? Ranchos, Ranchos. open air thatch huts for those who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> so like, just, I don't know, I'm not sure I just did a horrible job, but I would love for you to kind of just walk us through the environment right now. Sure. Well, I mean, what I want to, what I want to do is like start out like we, when Max Cooper showed up, he showed up with, with 30 students uh, and a handful of tents and shovels. <laughs> All right. That's, that's how he showed up. And a lot of bags of pasta and rice. All right. Uh, this was five years ago here. And to one of the heaviest rainy seasons that I, I've ever experienced here. And they started digging in. Um, literally. Literally digging in and trenching the ground around their tent so that their stuff didn't get trashed when the rains came down and, and water came across the site. And pretty quickly, some, some, some of our neighbors saw Max uh, and, and the team kind of like living here and not doing it very well, to be honest, you know, about it. And said, hey, how about we get you guys up out of the rain? Up, and we started and they showed us how to build a rancho, how to cut palm from trees, how to dry it, how to score it, um, and, and how to build a structure that kept people up out of the rain and let them sleep well and keep their things dry. Uh, at this point in time, I think we've got the ability, well, right now we've got 220, 250 people on site mm -hmm. with our 30 person staff and their 50 students and the 135 of you guys, plus the unregistered guests who showed up at the last minute. Yes. The undocumented. <laughs> yeah, the, the undocumented. <laughs> or are they workers? <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyways, but so, uh, so right now we're, we're accomplishing that with really nine open air thatch structures. Uh, we're sitting right now. We're we're in the old the the, the prison. Chris was talking about earlier is actually the old Verma compost unit, uh, surrounded by shade cloth. Yeah, worm, yeah, worm poop, worm poop. And uh, next to a next to a greenhouse where we've got our nursery that's starting all of our plants. 
We're in the middle of a food forest that was planted two and a half years ago that's got 70 different species, kind of mimicking uh, natural ecology in terms of how we're both deterring pests and uh, stimulating growth. And uh, we've got uh, Chris and 134 other people, Maso Menos, in tents up above us. Yeah, yeah see, your Spanish has hey. definitely come along. You know, I, I, I hablo como un cholo, pero hablo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, you know, and, and, I mean, literally, our first event was three New Years ago. We are having a TEDx summit for uh, TEDx license holders from around the world. Oh, wow. And the night of the – and we had never had flush toilets until then. It was all composting. That's fun. All right. Yeah. So, I was, you know, funny, I was super nervous about that. And then that used to take real dedication Chris. <laughs> or defecation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, cause like I, we did the orientation and the, the whiteboard was like filled with rules. They hadn't gone over them yet, but it was like, Hey guys, take your seats. We're going to go over, you know, blah, blah. And one of the things was like, you know, uh, something, something, mind your butts. And I was like, Oh no, there's not going to be any toilets, uh, but it was cigarette butts. Yes. So I was like, Oh, thank God. Um, yeah, so we, so so those, those toilets uh, they were installed for guests who who were a little softer than the people who'd been here beforehand, and <laughs> and, 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 and and the first ten of them flushed the during the opening uh, dinner of the first event we ever had here. The food goes right through you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, so, oh, so, so that's what y'all came to listen for. So, uh, so as you describe, you know, sort of the the elements that that make up Kaloyala. Um, I've read articles about Kalayala slated to be the most sustainable modern city. Modern town, man. So, yeah, as long sorry, as you put modern in there, it's a pretty low-hanging fruit, actually. So, but yep. the juxtaposition is that doesn't sound very modern. Uh-huh. Right? So what is, what's the Jimmy Stice definition of modern or the Kalayala definition of modern? And how does that fit into like most people's perception? When your mom and my mom want to come hang out here, when, when, when we're not... Uh, separated from the global economy and the opportunity that it offers. That's to me when things start being modern, when it's comfortable enough to be accessible to as many people as possible. And when the economics uh, aren't detrimental to people living here, when it's not just a vacation destination, because you can do business here. Right. Those are kind of my two things that I'm looking for. Yeah. That's that's an interesting bridge to gap too. Cause you know, I, we talked a few months ago. I was like, Oh, I should come out there in September. And you're like, don't come out here in September. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, like how do you, how do you strike the balance between people who want to just come here and hang out and like, Oh, Jimmy's in Panama. I want to go hang versus like, no, 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 I'm working. Like this is not, this is not a vacation spot or is there a balance there? uh, There's not really a balance. You know, there's a long road to get here and we don't offer, (laughs) you know, it's, it's tricky. Like people who get here, I want them to be here because it's a tricky place to get to. Right. And so, you know, I think that, uh, it, it, most people, if you figure out where we are and how to get to us, once you get here, we, we, we kind of tend to open the door and welcome you with open arms and try and feed you well and house you well. Um, so you talked about the hundred or so plus people who are here for Hatch. Yep. Um, I would love for you to explain what Hatch is. Uh, shout out to Yaro, Greener. But, um, and also couple it to why Hatch is here in Panama. Sure. So... Hatch is, is, let's see, Hatch is a community of people using creativity in positions that are fairly influential to make the world a better place. They're using the positions they've, they've gained access to in life to make the world a better place through creativity. And the community itself is making those people more effective through introducing them uh, to other people across disciplines who offer something that's going to help them do their job more effectively. So... What happened was I got invited to Hatch at South by Southwest a couple of years ago, and it was this guy who I hadn't heard of, and he was up in Montana, and it was 
I was working my butt off at the time and I thought that was going to be really hard to get to. And they said, hey, come, it's, it, you know, when you come, uh, the invitation means you're sponsored and you don't have to speak or do anything. I thought, what a strange thing for me to be sponsored to go to what? anything. Yeah. Will somebody touch me? That's what and, I was and, and, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so I, I show up and it turns out to be this incredibly humble group of people who I see actually getting things done without t- wasting too much time bragging about it. And I thought, this is exactly what Latin America needs. I'm from a conservative place, the Southeast, and I come to Panama and it's even more conservative. Everyone here is concerned about uh, social faux pas and do you, you know, it's more important to, to preserve your family name than it is to do something innovative and risk-taking. And I've heard the same thing when I've been in Mexico City uh, and Colombia and, and, and around Latin America. And it's very similar to where I'm from in the South. And I thought, but I know so many amazing, badass, loving, empathetic, like incredible change makers in this country, but they're all kind of by themselves. And I thought if Hatch came to Panama, we could make those people feel more emboldened, more impassioned and make them more effective for helping people around the world. That one guy gave a great talk. Uh, the was he the for the vice president? Of- Hugo, Hugo, Hugo Wood, the speechwriter yeah. for the vice president. Oh, he's a speechwriter. Yeah, no wonder he rocked it. I was yeah, like, he's twenty five years old. Is he twenty five? Yeah, that dude killed it. I was like, they, he, you know, it was just a super. Just so you guys know who are listening, he gave a really impassioned speech about how and last year, right, it was um, the first time President Obama and the President of Panama and the President of Cuba all came together and like. And, and, and talked about this history of how Panama is also has been a gateway for access to people and information with the canal like connecting two oceans and even geologically when it rose up. See, I paid attention. Yeah. <laughs> geologically, when it rose up, um, from, you know, from the, the depths of the ocean, it actually changed the way the oceans flow. Yep. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that's great that you've been able to tap that sort of talent. To, to be here and to be a part of what you're, what you're building. Well, I, I think that right now what, what I felt when I – the reason I wanted Hatch to be here was the – all of Panama, but particularly the under 40 crowd of Panama is ambitious about all the potential, not just for their country. And I, oh my gosh, this place gets me stoked about the idea of patriotism, which is a little dated sometimes in the U.S., I feel like. But like here, like you feel the heartbeat of a patriotic people who love their country and are excited about its future. Yeah. And they realize what their country is starting to mean or has always meant, uh, but, but they're starting to feel very empowered about what it means to the rest of the world. So it's just, it's a really exciting place to be right now in this moment. Any plans to, um, to do this elsewhere? <laughs> we, we hope we hope this is a prototype. We hope that we're getting systems figured out right now, and then we hope that we're going to build fifty cities before I die, and who knows how many before uh, before this this run is over. Uh, so we've already got a beach location. We're planning to open an institute in January 2017, and um, uh, after that, we're going to try and do something actually in an existing urban center to see what we can do in terms of redevelopment of existing uh, places. That's great. And this, this speaks to a great future. And one of the things I saw uh, on a couple of like the Kalayala t-shirts was a bunch of brand names and logos on the back of them. Mm-hmm. How have brands come in to support what you what you're doing here? Because that's always an interesting dynamic of like, you do something really lofty and like, hey, brand, <laughs> like, would you like to be a part of this? <laughs> like, that's an interesting ask. You know, what's funny is like right now, I feel like just like I was just talking about Panama, I feel like a lot of brands right now have really exciting, uh, have people who are, it, it's okay to be passionate about doing good for the world, even inside of large companies right now. Uh, and in fact, it's actually starting to be expected, uh, which mm-hmm. is so exciting. 
And so uh, brands have seen what we're doing and the chance to support us as something that they get behind and the people who are directing their marketing and their sponsorship uh, just come on just as as ambitious as most of my employees. They're just they're fired up about what we're doing and the chance to support it. But it also takes a really good pitch person to like <laughs> like, hey. I'm building a town in the middle of the Panamanian jungle. Well, the secret, uh, the give secret, me your money. The, <laughs> the, the, products. The, the secret sauce is, is, is them having somebody there who gets it. And if you get our values, you tend to get us uh, whether or not uh, you actually understand what building a town even means. So it's fine. It's all, I mean, I, I guess the takeaway from that is like find a, a an individual who can champion you inside the organization. That is the exact takeaway. Um, connect, connect to people who connect to your cause. So, um, uh, what is what is forty three year old Jimmy Stice look like? The, would he be balding? The way uh, uh, your locks are so flowy, from, I would hate for you to lose those. Uh, from a, <laughs> like, uh, I, I probably wouldn't even be your friend if if, if, <laughs> if the universe is fair. I will, <laughs> but uh, no, 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 let's let's kill that. <laughs> but um, forty um, three year old Jimmy Stice, uh, you know. I'm measuring my success by how many people we're able to produce employment for who are able to do work that makes them feel as though their work is contributing to making the world a better place and also letting them take care of their families. So for me, it's about how many people can Kaluyala and every other town we build be able to offer employment to or entrepreneurship opportunity to start businesses to uh, that meet the ideas that when a consumer touches one of our products or consumes one of our products, it's going to improve an environment and improve a community somewhere in the world. It's a big goal. So, and is it at all scary, right? Cause that's a lot of responsibility when you realize, and I, somebody who explains to me recently was like, Oh, like the people you hire are all like, you're not just taking care of them. You're taking care of their families and the, the you know, the, the people that their families are affected by. That's a huge, and if you're sitting at the apex of, you know, people's livelihood. Like, is that, is that daunting for you or is it exciting? I, I, it, 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 when, when you're with the employees, with the, <laughs> shoot, with the employees I have right now, uh, with the team that we've built, it's incredibly daunting pretty much every day. What I'm thinking about is how do I make sure that I'm taking care of them? Um, and then how do I make sure I'm offering them more opportunity because they're young. Uh, and so it's, it's daunting, but at the same time, it, it if we're not all willing to go in and try and give each other, lives worth living what the fuck are we doing man? that's quotable um and, and no it, it was actually pretty 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 stylish um just so you know i was 100 percent unprepared for this interview i, I had no I, like i got like four notes no but you I, had I, that I, beer i did the beer loosened me up yeah. a bit. um so as we begin to close uh the show is called innovation crush yep. right you've obviously gathered people from all over the world here multiple times on in some of the best thinkers best people doing like crazy shit um, what, uh, what is your current innovation crush? Like, what do you see out in the world that you're like, oh my gosh, that is actually fascinating. And you know. Ooh, my life is killing me. That's a great <laughs> question. Yeah. Give me a second. I think that's so okay. We, can we pause? There's, all, there's we always pause, the, we can cut for it, right? No, this is, is going to live raw. But <laughs> I, it, there's all, it's funny because every, like every, when I look at the sound bites for every interview, it's like, there's always like a little, like, you know, you know, you know who I'm in awe of right now every day. And I have been for two years. And I don't know if this is, <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> Chris Stinson just intimidates me because he's so damn sharp, you know, but, uh, but, uh, but the, the guy who I look up to every day for, for, for the guy who I look up to every day for two years, um, as a human being and, and as an artist and as a businessman, as a guy named Clay Chapman, who believe it or not right now, he's working in Oklahoma 
um, because there's a project there that was willing to give him the chance to display his work uh, in one area. And it's, he's, he's, to me, the best builder in the world. He's got a project called Hope for Architecture, and it's about giving people jobs with purpose and building uh, places worth living in and worth loving. So that, that's the guy I'm looking up to. Uh, and hopefully he's coming down here and opening the Clay Chapman School for Building in January. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, last but not least, complete this phrase for me. Mm-hmm. Innovation to me is... Solving problems without regard to resources. No, that's entrepreneurship. Let's think. It's close. No, close. but it, uh, like I mean, that I mean, I don't know. It's right. Yeah. To, to me, to me, to me, innovation is 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 how do you solve a problem regardless of resources? Right. You know, that doesn't mean if you're NASA and you've got them, that's still innovation. But like to me, like innovation is is do, is it's it's figuring out a solution that the world needs. It was funny because it was, you know, there's a train of thought that says that the best innovation comes from constraint. Mm-hmm. The fewer resources you have, the more creative you need to be, right? Yep. In order to achieve the same level of success you would have if you had seventy million dollars or whatever the number is. Yep. And so you're like me, me coming from Detroit, like I understand like how a town or a city can be like rebuilt and rethought, for, you know, from scratch because that's that's a point that they're at is this rock bottom, and like even here in the jungle, it's like. Resources are limited. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite. <laughs> what are you talking about, Chris? So, <laughs> as we sit in the verm, the old vermiculture. Hey, exactly. I'm, like, I'm like, oh, uh, what happens in the compost there, again? <laughs> by the way, there, there's great sound in vermiculture sheds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, apparently so. We'll see how it all comes out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think that's it. That's sweet, man. It, man. I, I had a good time. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to turn out. We'll, we'll see how the audience likes it. We'll yeah. see how many like thumbs down you get. Oh, boy. <laughs> just try and cut out, keep hitting the thumbs up Try and cut out everything that makes it look like I've got a swoop and a button-down shirt on right now, and I think we'll be good. I think you just – nobody knew that until you just said it. <laughs> I thought that was my intro. Uh, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. Hopefully I don't die. You hear the noises that are happening here. Uh, jaguars and crickets and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you next time.